a new podcast celebrating the culture and history of the island of Ibiza. I'm Bill Beecham, an Ibiza-based journalist, and in each podcast I will interview Ibithans who are contributing in some way to the life and culture of this diverse island. Rolf Blackstad is head of design at the renowned Ibithan architecture firm Blackstad Design Consultants. His mother Mary and father, also called Rolf, sailed into Ibiza Harbour in 1956. They fell in love with the island and settled here. Rolf had been trained in architecture and made a detailed study of Ibiza's traditional Finca design. He traced its origins right back to the Phoenicians, who arrived here more than 2,000 years ago, and suggested the essential design has remained more or less intact since then. He founded Blackstad Design Consultants with the aim of maintaining and promoting Ibiza architecture. And today his son Rolf leads the firm and continues this tradition, though adapting designs for 21st century requirements. Let's join Rolf now at his busy office near San Carlos in the north of Ibiza. Well, Rolf, thank you so much for uh, being the next victim for the Ibithology podcast. Um, You are the head of design at Blackstead Design Consultants, which is one of the most famous firms, certainly on the island, in terms of... um, Design, design and architecture. I just wanted to start off with, if you could tell me, what, what is it about Ibethan design principles that um, makes people, still makes, makes homeowners really, really seek your kind of designs? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And I'm definitely flattered by your introduction. The, well, in, in principle, the... Um, the traditional vernacular architecture of the island was introduced, under our understanding anyways, um, by, by the Phoenicians and the Carthaginians uh, two, over 2,500 years ago. And um, it actually, from, from what we understand, dates much f- further back into the, to the original settlements, Neolithic settlements in the Near East, particularly you could um, consider, uh, let's say, Jericho or um, Chatalhuyuk, which is in Anatolia, in, uh, in Turkey, which, um, in the one case of, of Jericho, which has been inhabited basically since then, uninterrupted, it's very hard to find remains that old, because we're talking, you know, we're talking about you know, 9,000 years ago. Whereas, um, say, there are remains in, in Turkey, such as Çatalhöyük, which are, you know, currently still being, being uh, dug and um, discoveries made and trying to understand what, you know, drove these original settlers to actually settle down. Chapiers was probably actually more... Um, it appears that it might even have been like 3,000 years before farming started. So it's actually the desire to settle and be in groups is actually 
prior to the prior to to agriculture, which was then a result of. And um, so, as the the actual building methods have actually changed very little since then. What has changed and what has remained on the island almost unaltered for over two millennia was the basic layout of those houses due to the fact that it seems that there was very little um, sort of change in the population, not in numbers, but of origin. And it seems to be proven over and over again with any sort of studies that are done on DNA of the local, of the local population. And um, for you know a lot of a, a lot of that period, the highland wasn't very, in, you know, uh, there wasn't much population. It wasn't that um, inhabited. Um, but even so, it all of the houses follow a similar layout, and um, even the measurements, the measurements, have, you know, were unaltered. And actually. They go back and coincide with the measurements that were being used in ancient Egypt, such as the, uh, you know, the royal cubit, which is, uh, you know, again, what's interesting about it is it's based, the actual unit, says you could say a megalithic yard, is actually based on sort of the human body. So when people built their houses, they were building them according to sort of their size. So their dimensions are human, they're, you know. And um, so I think in, in, that, in that sense, the other very interesting thing, of course, is that here we, you know, it's not really an archaeological study due to the fact that up until the probably mid-60s, 50s, 60s, the houses were still being built. So it's sort of a form of living archaeology is that, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's not a question of digging, digging up remains and trying to figure out what they were. It's we actually know. I grew up, I was born in the early 70s, and growing up in a backwater of the island, is our neighbors lived exactly how they lived for hundreds, if not, you know, thousands of years. And in reality, our, you know, our needs really did not change very much since, you know, the Neolithic times. And, and do you think it's that, um, you, you mentioned that there's a kind of relationship with, with the human body in terms of the dimensions. Do you think that 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 kind of thing somehow makes people feel comfortable in that design of architecture and, and that, that there has to be a reason why that architecture is still so loved even to this day. There, was, there were two basic designs and building mythologies which came out of those original settlements. Um, one was sort of orientated towards the more sort of wet regions and then also the drier regions, of course, which we are the latter. And um, in, in, so in that sense, we've been living with these buildings, either one form or another, whether it's timber frame or, or the sort of adobe or stone constructions that we have here for you know, thousands and thousands of years. So in a sense, I think we can recognize these buildings as being sort of a home and um, Apart from the fact, again, of course, if, if, if you use, if it's designed and built according to a human dimension, and it's not just something plucked out of, you know, just out of the air or because it's, you know, because of legalities or whatever, it's, it's actually, there's a, there's a, you know, a reason behind it. I would say definitely, that would definitely help.
Okay, well, let's take take the sto- your story right back now, um, just to look at your family history a little bit. Your grandfather, Peter, was an architect, and uh, could you tell me just a little bit about how about his life and how he influenced your father to follow suit? Well, my grandfather was a master builder. Um, I guess towards the the end the end of the nineteenth uh, century, beginning of twentieth century, and um, he emigrated from. Norway to the United States and was in during the 20s um, building down in in California and um, uh, moved back to Norway and then again back to Canada and was in Vancouver uh, building uh, designing and building and um, my father originally um, apprenticed under him but uh, was studying was studying fine arts and uh, he he won a scholarship I guess in his early very early 20s and um, spent a year in Europe with my mother he got married and came to Europe right after the war in 1951 52 and um, fell in love with with uh, with the with with uh, with Europe, especially Mediterranean, um, Italy at the time, and moved back. Went back to Canada, and after a couple of years, decided that you know they really actually wanted to to live in the Mediterranean. And um, on the boat, I think leaving from Valencia to to Palma, they were on their way to Deia. Uh, stopped on stopped here, in Ibiza, and uh, 1956. And they got off the boat and stayed. They they never went back. They didn't continue. They stayed here. Can you tell me a bit about what inspired them to stay here? Why did, why did they fall in love with the place? So? Well, my father always sort of said it reminded him of sort of a Homeric sort of um, odyssey in the sense that life had almost not changed at all for thousands of, of years. And really, the uh, when they arrived, there wasn't there really wasn't that much. Uh, the they um, they initially their first year they spent in the old town Dalvila, and um, they, you know there was no electricity. Uh, they would you know have to buy charcoal at the um, from off you know and uh, in order to cook, and they would close the gates at sundown. So it was really you know a completely different world from what we know it as of it now today, and then. Then uh, my father at that time was still painting and started doing uh, documentary camera work for the CBC he had been working for before coming to the island. And that went on until the late 60s. But he had been doing a lot of walks around the island and had taken a you know, great interest in the, in the buildings. And, um, Due to the travels, traveling around, doing the documentary, um, doing the documentaries, he was able to sort of relate the local buildings to other areas that he was visiting, such as the Near East or in um, Jerba, and um, was, was you know was his his interest was definitely peaked, and um, he started recording both the houses, measuring them, 
um, and also talking to the old Ibisenks, who of course still had the hands-on knowledge, which was being lost even then, even in the 60s, it was already sort of, you know, these houses were no longer being built, uh, they were getting on, and um, so he has, he has, uh, you know, he interviewed the farmers, and um, started working on his, this, his thesis, which is the one we, we published in 2012. And originally, of course, came up with a lot of opposition of about his 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 theories, which were slowly seemed to be um, proved correct. Even though you know archaeologists, uh, it's very hard for them to actually you know it's very hard to prove. Although it seems like it's uh, so. So, what was the controversy, essentially? That he would his thesis was that these houses have not been altered for. 2,500 years, even though there have been a lot of um, invasions since then, being, you know, either the Romans, the Arabs, the, uh, the uh, Christian uh, coming into in um, 1235, and that, you know, that of course these houses had not been altered. And the fact was, what was hard for, for, for him to, to, to get across was, he wasn't claiming that these houses are 2,500 years old, except mm -hmm. that the building methods and tradition of the actual architecture, the design, is. And, and he, he knew that because he'd, he'd had this wider experience in other parts of the Med where he'd seen those kind of buildings and designs. Well, he seemed to be able to put, you know, one and one together and, uh, and come up with, with, uh, with, uh, with this theory. And is it still controversial or is it more... I think it's less. It's, I think it's very widely accepted. Although, you know, of course, uh, for him it was easier. It's not being an archaeologist. You know, he can throw out these uh, ideas and not be, you know, lambasted for them. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, in, and I think the same occurs still today. It's very hard to prove. I mean, you know, they found they found, of course, numerous uh, artifacts. That of course date all these areas of where the houses are back to um, to the time that the uh, Carthaginians were, you know, populating the island in you know second, third, fourth century. Um, of course, what you can't do is 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 prove that those houses are that old, because as for the same reason that they're still around is they've been rebuilt, maintained, and of course they're not. They are not two thousand. You know, they're not. You know, two and two and a half. Uh, thousand years old mm. but again the, uh, the the tradition definitely seems to be and um, can you describe your your childhood growing up in Ibiza what was that like you know I sort of can can um, can sort of think of to just relaxed golden summers things were very different I mean we grew up with no electricity like, like you know power was a sort of luxury considered luxury phones were just unheard of I mean, nobody had a phone and um, I mean, it was the I think just a couple, you know a couple of months ago we had a, a power cut and we had to have candles for like an hour or so, which is sort of not not usual anymore. It used to be much more common, and it reminded me of how at night it was so different. There was always movement. You know, the nights were alive. 
you'd have the flickering, you know, light. And I guess in overall, it's a question that it, life has sped up so much, you know, so much more stress. We have a lot more, but in in some ways, we have a lot less. And um, did you spend your whole childhood in Ibiza? Yep. Yeah. Where, whereabouts did you, uh, were you, were you born? Well, I grew up in, uh, I grew up in, in the uh, Morna Valley, up in the hills. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And which schools did you go to? Well, my mother, my mother um, founded the Morna Valley School. Right. Which was uh, then, back then, in the Morna Valley. As a matter of fact, they were still living at the house. I was born in, I was born in what was Morna Valley School. And, um, yeah, it was a very, it was a very different, uh, very different times. We'd have the the uh, inspectors come over from the British Board of Education would come once a year and you'd see the surprise in the fact that the academic results didn't seem to correspond with the with the uh, location of where the classes were were given which might have been outside under a fig tree or you know in some in the sort of mules Coral. So, yeah. so your mother was, was, was setting up and running that school and your, your father, had, had he, um, insp he inspired you to go into architecture too. How, how did that happen? Was it, did it start early in your childhood? It started early. I mean, we were out clambering over the sort of ruins and measuring the houses as he was, you know, putting together his, uh, his study on the, on the uh, architecture of the island. And my father was not an architect. I mean, he was, uh, and I'm not either. I mean, I basically ended up apprenticing under him. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, we learned, we learned hands-on. Basically, I remember summers as at the age of about 13, 14, you know, being sent to the jobs to, to help build the houses. So you're, you're self-taught architects rather than f going through a formal That's correct. education. That's right, yeah. okay. Yeah. So have, have you ever um, sort of left the island as part of your education? You just, or you just I have, yeah. Been on yeah. The job? Well, I have, I have, but not, not as a, not any formal, formal education. Okay. Yeah. And then so as, as time went on, you, you, you formed your current company. Was that you, you and your, your father? My father started in 1967. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, we've grown probably over the last 10, 12 years. Yeah. For a long time, it was just the two of us. Yeah. Um, uh, how, how many people have you got working for you now? We're about, I think we're about 15. Have you got a, a mixture of, um, you've got, have you got more formally trained architects here? I think there's maybe five, five to six architects, the rest are, are uh, draftsmen, yeah. yeah. Um, and then in terms of the work that you do now, you do new builds and renovations. Well, there's a lot less new, there's a lot less new builds now. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'd say, mainly focusing on, on uh, refurbishment and uh, maybe, you know, we have an increase, of course, of urban plots, so they're more readily, readily available to be able to have uh, new builds on. Is, yeah. is it the uh, challenges of the planning regulations that are reducing the amount of new build work? There, there's, definitely, um, there, there's definitely been a, a, a big change in, in uh, 
urban law very recently, which are reducing the ability, the possibilities to, to build in their country. It was already um, relatively, you know, highly protected. Just, uh, you know, we've, we've now had, I think we've had uh, a very big change now just recently. Um, it's not definitive. We'll see if it lasts. We'll see. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think the island has been, has been so, so much pressure that it was, you know, bound to happen. It needed to happen. And now we have to come up with something that's actually sort of thought through and is considering the island uh, for, you know, the next 20 years. It's not some sort of slapdash um, law that's... Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's a very sensitive uh, subject, right? Yes. Well, it's probably it's probably quite current in terms of. Is is there a new law being drafted at the moment? There is. There is. There's. We have an interim norm, which has basically suspended a lot of the uh, sort of licenses, which just drag on for years. And um, we'll see. We'll see if they have time to to uh, to push it through before the next elections, and if that case, what will happen. I mean, definitely what will come out of this will be, you know, uh, higher protection. We'll see to what extent. Okay. And just looking at those principles of Ibethan thinker design, could you just walk me through the basic design, how that works? Well, the, the houses were built according to, to, to need. And so originally... The first room, which was most likely built, would have been um, a sort of one room that would fit all needs and uses, which would in, in effect be the, uh, the kitchen. Very often, what was added on to that room, to the front, would, would have been the living room. Then, at some point, very often, those, the back room would have been divided into two bedrooms and then a kitchen built onto one side, onto one wing. Uh, of course, there's variations to that, but overall, that would probably sort of fit the majority of the cases. They would definitely try their best to face the house south, whether even if they were set on the back, on the north face of the of the hill. And um, once you were beyond that point, they would start to vary, and you could then, especially with. Uh, let's say the um, the the areas or volumes that were needed for the farm animals would probably then actually just sort of adapt to the terrain, to the location on the plot. They would build usually at the foot of a, of the hills, trying to keep as much farmland available. The overall plot size for the farm were really not large, and therefore you know they, they were really sort of self-sufficient but never prosperous and probably never had you know much uh, much to, to, to save and so the houses would grow according to the the needs of the family and therefore the larger the family the more rooms but they would have more help in actually building them and the the building materials were just sort of collected from whatever you could find around the site so, um, you know, the, the, the stones, it's, you know, the stones you'll find that the stones used for the building will correspond to the, whatever is there. That's why when you see them also in the landscape, it, they do sort of just sit so well in the, in the landscape with the terraced walls 
because they're sort of part of they're the same materials, and the um, the the uh, the wooden beams would usually be pruned and um, cared for while the trees were growing in order to be able to use them for the building. So at the end of the day, everything on the site was cherished and taken care of. And you can still see that, although you know so many of the farms are abandoned. There's still this sense of centuries, of generations of, uh, of people having sort of taken care of the, of the, of the land. Do you find it quite exciting when you go to a new project and you, you can start to examine it and see how it's being built up over the centuries like that? It is. It is very interesting. And, um, and now, I mean, now the, uh, the old, all the old houses are protected and we need to get um, archaeological studies done on them. Uh, and um, so it is very interesting to go through and figure out which of the rooms were built first where they were added on, probably when they might have been added on. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, so many of the, uh, the you know, the, the houses are, are lost. And um, now, of course, saving, saving the ones that really make sense, we do find, you know, occasions where we're sort of having to save things which don't make much sense. But at, I guess at some point, you know, a consensus or a middle ground will be, will be found. And the... Um could could you tell me about say the what the the oldest project that you've um, un unearthed? Was that hard to say? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, at the it, it is so hard to say because again, for the same way that you know, how can archaeological uh, archaeologists actually date a building? They can't really because they've been worked on. Um, but you know, it's it's enough to say that, for example, at my father's house, uh, we uncovered Roman coins. Right. So, you know, how old, how old are, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's, it's very hard, it's very hard to say. And you will find that there's, you know, Arab stonework or, or so on. Um, but otherwise, it's very hard to, to date. I mean, occasionally, some of the houses, some of the houses will have dates. And there was a house near my father's, which uh, the old um, oil press, the big beam that was used for the for pressing the olives, for the olive oil, was from the uh, 16th century. Okay. Yeah. And do the do the families the Ibithenks, um have a knowledge of the family history of, of these buildings as well? Not really. Mm -hmm. They go, you know, the uh, the the regist the registry goes back to the uh, for the the some of the 16th century, 17th century, mainly. Uh, in the 18th century, where it was more widely uh, recorded. One thing I love about them is the slope of the walls. They're not quite perpendicular, are they? Yeah. Well, the, well, yeah. You don't. It's on. You find it on a lot of them, but not on all of them. And the batter on the walls is is, of course, due to the fact that you know they're just built out of uh, uh, stones and mud and some rubble in between. And you'll find some some different. Different uh, different types of, uh, of of batter, and one of the very one one that's extremely beautiful actually. And he starts about uh, about the height of a the height of a person. So at about one eighty, it starts to have a have a inclination that's curved, and it curves more pronouncedly as it right as it gets higher to the top. And um, it's extremely that's very beautiful. It's really beautiful. 
and those um, those essential principles you say really are more or less unchanged since the time of the visit the Carthagians. Well, that's what we believe. Yes. I mean, um, but seeing seeing what they're you know uh, uncovering in in the uh, archaeological uh, surveys that they're doing in the Near East is there you know you can see that the the same the same methodology is used for for the building. Your your father's book. Which is coming out in English, you tell me. Yeah. But when is it due out? Hopefully, hopefully this summer. Right. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating to see in there his comparisons between Ibiza and properties all over the place. So, just just how widespread are those principles? Do you think? Well, I think it, it mainly covers where the Carthaginians were. So yeah. you'll have south of Spain, northern Africa, Sicily. Um, Ibiza, not the other Balearic Islands, which were never um, uh, Carthaginian colonies, and um, were actually the other the other uh, two islands, Mallorca and Menorca, were actually left to their own devices until until the uh, late second century uh, BC, until the um, the, the Carthaginian um, Empire fell to the Romans, and the Romans took over, and then actually colonized the, all of the Balearics and um, so you'll you'll find that the same type of architecture although it happens that in Ibiza it went very unaltered for so long whereas other other areas had uh, more external influence due to the fact that they were easier or were were um, invaded and repopulated. But Ibiza has been invaded quite a few times why do you think that that architecture has remained more intact than elsewhere? It was the people. The population didn't change. The right. administration changed. Okay. And the, uh, the, 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 the rulers changed, mm -hmm. but not the population. Okay. And, that's, and that's proven by the, uh, the, um, the studies, genetic studies um, being done, which was, I guess... Back in the early 90s, there's been there's been a few. There's a very recent one done by a professor from uh, from Lebanon, I believe, which actually it seems that the DNA found on the island is closer to the ancient DNA of the Near East than it is now. It's interesting. There. So yeah, so it's maintained uh, very unaltered for, for for so long. And in valleys like San Vicente, where I live, probably. Even purer because like there was no there was no main road there was very little outside influence there until the sixties. I think the road wasn't built until the late sixties, so you can imagine it was only accessible by boat. Mm. I mean, it was you know extremely secluded. Yeah. Do you have any favourite parts of Ibiza you can tell me about? There's, Ibiza actually seems so much larger than you would think it is, and you can find charming corners in the most unexpected places you can be sort of just walking or driving somewhere and all of a sudden you'll come across something that has a magical feeling about it it can be on the side of the road and even so there's something about the twist of the olive tree or the stone wall or maybe it's a small water tank with a you know with a, with an bitter orange or so you never know there's so many there's so many and you have to be open to them you can't you, you have to be open that you can find that 
special corners anywhere on the island. And you're still finding them after a lifetime here? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, can, can you tell me, uh, do you have any plans for your business here that you can tell me about? Well, it's very hard to plan here on the island because you never know what what's what's the uh, what the future will bring. Bring as you know things uh, change so often. So here, it's very much about just adapting to whatever's happening at any any given time. And I find that at the end of the day, the island is what it is, and it manages to always remain what it is. Doesn't matter what we throw at it doesn't matter how things change, how many people are coming, and the sort of people that come. Um, so I definitely am optimistic in that the island will still remain to be special. Um, we actually, we, we're finding that probably one of the things is due to the, how popular the island is at the moment we're actually getting a lot of uh, requests to do work off the island. Right. So we're, we, have, uh, we have projects you know, all, over, all over the place now. And is that, is that taking Ibethan architecture and transplanting it? That's okay. right, yeah. What, what kind of countries are you looking Well, at? we've got, I mean, we do, we've got, um, we're doing work in California, American Southwest, um, Greece, Turkey, of course, Mediterranean islands, a lot of them are in Portugal, the uh, coast of Spain. Wow, so it's, it's, it's becoming quite global. It is, yeah. it is, and uh, thanks to internet. You know. Any plans to set up an office anywhere else? No. No, okay. And just in terms of um, the modern world and its demands, um, how, how far do you have to adapt those are beaten principles to suit your clients who want the comforts of a modern home. I'd say the main the main change that we've had, which allows us to open up the house, which is probably the main the main change that is required, in the sense that the old house is very much about being inside, and we now want to live inside and have a continuation of space to the exterior, to the outside, is of course plate glass. So at the end of the day, of course, the building methods have uh, modernized, although the actual design of the houses and the studies that we've done do prove that they are definitely by far the best that are adapted to the, the uh, climate and therefore um, are much more suitable for a sustainable build. And um, the, our main concern now is to open up the houses to the exterior. And um, of course, due to the climate that we, we're in, we need, we need to create shaded areas in front of those open spaces. So you have more just more, more glass, more, more openings to the outside and then, and then a shaded area outside. That's correct. Right. Yeah, in principle. And people love views as well. People like views. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as you can see, probably as if you're in San Vicente, you could, you could easily be in a house on the top of the hill with beautiful views, which is, has you know, a window about the size of your palm of your hand <laughs> <Yes>. to, <laughs> looking out. That's correct. 
Yeah. Great. Um, well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Rolf. I really appreciate your time. And um, do let us know when the, when the book's coming out. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. Thanks very much. Well, thank you. <laughs> This haunting song was recorded in San Jose in the 1950s in Ibiza. It's called Bon Amor Jo et Venk Aver, which roughly translates as Good Love, I'll Come See You. It's part of the Alan Lomax collection at the American Folklife Centre in the Library of Congress. It's used courtesy of the Association for Cultural Equity. Vas a las tres,